You're listening to episode 35 of the Master Your Mind, Business, and Life podcast. What's your biggest fear? Think about that. What gets your heart racing at just the idea of something? For me, it's being buried alive. But for some, it's fire. Others, it's certain types of animals or even death itself. This week, I'm welcoming back one of my favorite and one of my first business mentors, Mac Monroe. Mac joined us on episode five, where we talked about bad bosses and what it means to be a good boss. But this week, we're tackling a topic that ignites straight up fear in some people, and that's public speaking and giving presentations. It's been a little bit since I have featured a review of the week, but this one hits me in my feels. It comes from Rover404B and it reads, there is always a topic for everyone with this show. I never know which topic or expert Lauren will cover next, but they're always interesting and she's always very curious. Love the business ones. More of those. Hey, Rover404B, I heard you loud and clear, my friend. More business episodes coming your way. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Music, or wherever it is you're streaming from. And if you're feeling generous, be sure to share this episode with a friend. Okay, are you ready to learn how to conquer public speaking like a boss? You know what to do. Tune in, turn it up, let's go. with everyday world shifters, truth seekers, and rule breakers. Here's your host, Lauren Smith. Hey everyone, it's Lauren Smith. Welcome back to another episode. This week's guest is a repeat guest and one of my favorite experts, Mac Monroe from The Boss Builders. Mac is here to talk about his new book, which focuses around conquering presentations and public speaking. Mac, welcome back to the show. Oh, Lauren, it's great to be back, and I appreciate you inviting me back for a second session. Well, for those listeners who may not have heard you on our first episode, um, can you give us a little bit of background on you? And I know you just released a new book, so can you tell us how this new book builds on the idea of being a great boss? Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, I'd invite them to go back and listen to the podcast. If you want to hear about a guy that almost killed his boss, you need to tune in. And so after that incident back in 1996, I made it my life's mission to help people become better bosses and help companies develop better bosses. And that's what we do today at Boss Builders. And as it happens, I'm getting ready in about an hour to do a speech to 120 plus HR people on that very topic, which is an extension of life mission. The book that I just released, the book is called How to Win at Giving Presentations, is really aimed towards somebody who is in a position of influence. It it could be an HR professional. It could be a boss. But maybe it could be a teacher. It could be a a trainer. It could be somebody that has really, really great skills and knowledge to offer. But the thing that they're missing is the ability to convey that in a way where people actually want to listen and, most importantly, buy whatever it is that you're selling. So that kind of sums up why I did it. I think it's an important skill set for a person to have. You do a lot of trainings and speakings. Have you always been such an eloquent speaker or did you at one time have a fear of public speaking yourself? 
No, I mean, I can tell you honestly right now, uh, less than an hour from getting up there, I I just kind of wish everybody would just say, I don't really want to go hear that guy. And I could go in there to an empty room and I'm, there's part <laughs> of me that would feel relieved. So I, I don't know if you ever get over the fear. I think what you learn to do is to channel that fear. Mm. And I think that's what grounds a lot of people that want to do this is they're just terrified. They'd love to do it but they're terrified. And so over the years, I've just learned how to do it. And like anything else, Lauren, if you do it enough times and practice, pretty soon it comes second nature to you. Mm. Kind of like when you listen, I just watched the Kevin Hart uh, Irresponsible Tour on Netflix the other day. And I was like, man, I wonder how many times he has done the same exact skit to the point that you know he, he knows when to pause and wait for the audience rea- reaction. So I think presentations are almost the same thing. You do it so many times, you know where to pause and what to get, how to get a reaction out of the audience. Well, I think stand-up comedy is a great place to start. I mean, if your job is to get up there and have people laugh at you, public speaking is pretty good for that. <laughs> but I agree. You could do it. You know, this, the talk I'm going to give this afternoon, it's how to build better bosses. I've given this talk probably 40 or 50 times so I know exactly when to put that pause in there. And I know exactly when to do a, a certain gesture. There's a balance with that, though. And this is what I would also really, really encourage your listeners to pay attention to is that pretty soon you get tired of doing the same talk over and over. And I think sometimes, you know, maybe at a Jimmy Buffett concert, he's probably thinking, damn, I just do not want to sing that stupid margarita. I hate that song. But, you know, for some people, that concert is a check off a bucket list. Right. And so if he doesn't get out there and do Margaritaville with every ounce of his soul, somebody's going to say, man, I waited my whole life. It was awful. Mm. So that's the other thing. If you have done a talk time and time again, you got to deliver it each time like it's the first time and that audience has never heard you because most of the time they haven't. Exactly. Now, you mentioned in the book that the fear of public speaking is worse than the fear of dying, financial ruin, spiders, and even snakes. Why is that? <laughs> well, there's a lot of reasons. I'm sure your listeners have their own personal incident of when they became terrified. And it typically begins when you're asked to get up in a in an elementary school class and, <laughs> and read your answer or answer a question. And so I think for a lot of people, they're nervous because it's unfamiliar. It's not something they do all the time. It's something that oftentimes gets sprung on them. Or if it's told that they have to do it in a week, it produces a week of anxiety working up to it. And I think that also comes from a lack of confidence. Again, something that you don't do all the time, you're not going to feel like you can do it at all. And that's going to make you afraid. A third reason is that you are on the stage all by yourself. There's no support team. There's nobody up there that you can hand off to if you start to forget what you're talking about. All eyes are on you and not only on what you're saying, what you're doing. And so it can really be scary to be up there. And then, of course, maybe the biggest one is you don't want to screw it up. Yeah. You don't want to be remembered for the person that did something stupid or said something ridiculous. And so all of those, not only those, but whatever your listeners have been thinking about, that becomes when someone says, hey, we'd love you to get up and and give a toast. You're like, oh, no, there's no way because you're going to have this video in your head of all these bad experiences that you've had before. Mm, So true. I actually, while you were saying that, I was the speaker at my high school graduation and my 
my speech was towards the end, but right before that, you know, I thought I had written this amazing speech, right? I was very, I was actually very confident walking up there to give the speech in front of my peers, but right before it was time for my, my, um, my speech, they had given three honorary diplomas to three boys who had died in a house fire of my senior year of high school. So everyone's crying, including myself. And I go up on stage and I could not get myself back together. And from that point on, because I didn't deliver my speech well and it didn't come out the way I wanted all throughout college, I was so, you know, just like that, the mental game of I can't get in front of anyone, even if it was a class of 20 to read something out loud because that memory kept coming back to me. And, you know, it took a while for me to realize it wasn't my speech that was bad. It was just the way that they laid out the program (laughs) that was bad to set me up almost right after an emotional thing. So yeah, I think that it definitely, the one bad instance can kind of change your whole mindset. Well, it does. It's, it's a mental marker. And, and a lot of this really is a, a mental game. Mm. So if it is a mental game and that's what makes us afraid, what are some of the ways that we can get over that fear? Well, in the book, I tell a story that I actually had heard before and I just sort of recounted it. And what it did, it, it was talking about a guy who was an avid golfer. And then he had some personal tragedies happen. He had some significant health issues. And for six years, he did not pick up a golf club. Mm. But then when this whole thing ended, he went out and he went back to his favorite golf course. And on his first day out there, he shot like a a 72 or something. And this is after not having picked up a club in six years. What was interesting about it is that this guy was actually a prisoner of war in Vietnam. And so before he was shot down, he would get out every Sunday and play golf in his favorite course. And so they put these guys in solitary confinement and they had no way of communicating. So they would do, you know, this elaborate system of communication by tapping on the walls, but to keep themselves from going nuts, they would have to actually play mental games. So one guy made it his mission to build a house nail by nail in his mind. But what this guy did is every day he played golf. He'd get up in the morning. He he visualized everything, Lauren, putting on the shoes. He could hear the birds chirping. But what was really neat is that as he was playing golf, he was perfect. And so for that 18 holes, every drive was right down the middle of the fairway. Every chip was right on the green. Every putt rolled in day after day after day for six years. And so when he was released from prison, malnourished, sick, he went out there and shot his best game ever. And, and it's a mental game. And so after hearing that, I thought, well, you know, I think the same thing applies to people in speaking. We have this video in our head that shows every catastrophe happening. And so we can't shake it. And so you have to kind of reprogram your mind. Now, several years ago, uh, it was actually the last job I worked before I finally quit working and started working for myself. I work for a trade association and it represented government contractors. And so one of the things that government contractors have to obey is a, it's a law, it's called the Service Contract Act. And what it does, these were companies that would be contracted to cut grass and things on military bases. They have to have a standard wage. So you can't go down to Lowe's and find some day laborers and say, hey, I'll pay a dollar an hour and then bill the government $30 an hour. And so a lot of contractors were really pissed about this. Well, we would put on a seminar and it was by the department of labor and these were analysts that understood it forward and back but they were horrible speakers 
And so every, we did this twice a year. These DOL speakers would get up there. They'd start reading their PowerPoints. The contractors would start asking them hard questions, and then they smelled blood in the water. And this happened three years in a row. And finally, and they were getting low ratings. So my boss asked me, he says, could you coach these guys up? And so I went in there, and there was about six of them, and they told us, we dread this. This is the worst time. Twice a year, we've got to get up and face this angry audience. And I asked them to tell me what it felt like, and they recounted it. And some of them started to cry. And so what I did, and this took about two weeks, is I, I reprogrammed them. I said, I want you to visualize being up there, and you know the answer to every question. You know the slides. You don't have to look at the slides. And when you get a question you don't know the answer to, you defer it to a colleague who does. You look them in the eye. And we practiced that, Lauren. And so we had the Service Contract Act training. It was right down in Washington, D.C. And I stood in the back of the room and I watched those trainers up there. And you know what? It worked. They owned the stage. It's because they got their mind right. And so if you're listening to this and you visualize failure every time, you won't be disappointed because it's going to be right there waiting on you. But I want you to reprogram your mind. Visualize what success would look like. It's a mental mind game and you got to own it. What are some other tactics that we can use to prepare for a presentation? Obviously, visualization. Is there anything else that you do? Yeah, well, visualization's good, but you also have to have the right material. You got to be good at it. And so that's the first thing I'd recommend is, is be the expert in the subject. If it's something that you are really studying, and, and I generally recommend if you read on the subject an hour a day in a year, you'll be an expert on the subject. Master it and realize the people that come to your audience, the ones you really want to reach out to don't know anything. There's a bunch of people that are know-it-alls and they just show up to kind of show you up. Just ignore them. They like to hear their own voice, but master your subject, be the expert. And then the second thing is get to know the audience. You know, there's, we sometimes use personality instruments to help us kind of gauge a way a person likes to take their information in, find out their, their background, the learning style, their wants and needs. So, for example, um, the audience I'm going to speak to now, they're HR professionals. And what I know about HR professionals, generally speaking, is they are overworked, overwhelmed, overstressed, and underappreciated. So everything in my talk today is going to be at them being there as a partner to them, because I know that's important to them. And once they feel like I can empathize with what they do, they tune in and listen. So get to know the audience. And then when you're talking, you got to communicate in different channels. I know we all have a preferred style, but sometimes you got to shift it up because your audience is different. And so maybe things like there, there are certain people in your audience, they want the facts. They want numbers. They want percents. Other people like stories. They like to hear a beginning and a middle and an end. Uh, some people wake up to a shocking statement. You know, did you know that every four seconds a child and Central America dies of starvation. And then you make the case for, you know, sending aid or whatever that might be. Or you appeal to their emotion. You know, what are they expressing right now? What are they feeling right now? And that means that you have to kind of eyeball your audience, maybe talk to some people before you go in there or ahead of time. Just study the group, what's important to them. The, the things that you've got to be careful of is stuff that you should not be doing. And so the biggest one, and if you really want to be the worst speaker ever, and you just want to go down in history as the most boring presenter, read your PowerPoint slides. Uh, you, you, you might as well tell them, hey, you are too stupid to read. So let me just read you what these big words are. But PowerPoint becomes a crutch. And if you don't know your material, 
then it'll be very evident because you'll keep looking at that screen. So that's a big one. And, and that's the second thing, too. I think, honestly, PowerPoint is one of the worst things that ever came along because before that, and this might be even before your time, Lauren, you, you had to draw it on a flip chart or you had to use an overhead projector. And there was no fancy PowerPoint with uh, animations and all those kinds of things. And I think it made people better speakers just because you don't over-rely on it. And then there's this horrifying moment when you realize, oh, my God, my PowerPoint stuck. Yeah. And it's funny to watch a speaker who, who can't get their PowerPoint to work. And they, it's just it's sad. It's, it's sad. It's kind of yeah. funny, but it's, it's more sad than funny. And then there's, there's other things that are annoyances, people that use um. In fact, you know, on the uh, Boss Builder and HR Oxygen podcast, one, things, one of the things I like to do is to go through the audio and eliminate the ums. I think all of us do it. And mm-hmm. it becomes something that if you're not careful with, it becomes part of your thing. But everybody notices that. Uh, words like like and like, and you hear that a lot. And then one that was really interesting, um, and I talk about this more in the book, is you guys. Uh, when I was in the Navy, we had, and that's where I first learned to train. We were doing uh, some training in the Navy, but we had a female Navy captain, very senior. And I made the mistake of saying, so you guys now, and she says, excuse me. She stands up and makes a big production. I am not a guy, Petty Officer Monroe. And I thought, wow, I oh. didn't realize that struck a raw nerve. But you know what? It was okay. It trained me to not do that and to mm. be very careful with that. And then one last thing I'd recommend is have somebody videotape you or critique you. And that takes a great deal of courage. But realize they're going to be doing that when you're in front of them for real. So think about it as like sparring, getting ready for a fight. You want to get used to taking a punch before you go in for the real deal. I discovered, I didn't know this, that I twisted my wedding ring when I was talking. It's just little weird stuff that you don't even realize that you do. And you see it on video, you think, oh, look at that. So then you know to stop it. And, yeah. you know, just practice. That's, that's it. And, and get, your, get your voice trained. Develop a style. So little things. And on top of that, of course, positive visualization. I do. I notice a lot when I speak, I pick um, like the side skin of my nails, like to just like keep my hands busy almost. And when I noticed that I would, I would do it, it was almost, you know, I'd be done teaching a workshop. And when I was done, I was, I'd pick so much, like my hands start hurting. Or if I'm on a podcast call, I twirl my hair a lot. I mean, no one can see me doing it, but I just notice that that's something that I do while I'm talking is constantly twirl my hair. I think, goodness, I don't do it when I'm teaching, but that could be slightly annoying. But you do see these things that you pick up. I'm sure when you listen back to podcasts, you listen to things and ways that you've said things and are, why did I say it like that? Or what was I thinking? So I think that videotaping would be extremely big. And with the presentations with PowerPoint, do you still use PowerPoint presentations or just use them very sparingly? No, I, I do. And the reason I do is because the audience is expected. And, mm. and so what I do with the talk, and I mean, this is just kind of a little bonus, I guess, for you, but I usually like to have a, you know, step-by-step on how to build better bosses, but I do it with fill in the blanks. And so the PowerPoint slide would have the thing that's in their handout with the blank filled in. And that gets them paying attention, right? When you're, when you're filling in the blank on something real important, you're not checking your email on your phone. So I do. And it's because people expect it. But if you watch any keynote speaker, they, they really don't. And I don't do keynotes all that often, 
but if I do, no, you don't have PowerPoint because it's that you want the attention to be on you. But it is, it's become something everybody kind of expects. Or they'll say, you know, do you have a copy of your slides? And I guess that's good because they liked it. Right. But you're kind of stuck with it. Microsoft yeah. loves it, you know. <laughs> I'm sure they do. <laughs> so what are some rewards for someone who has mastered public speaking? I think that a person is automatically singled out as a leader. If they can get up and communicate their ideas well, people look up to that. You're, you're going to pick somebody like that to give the toast at your wedding as the maid of honor or the best man. You're going to be the one who they say, you know what, let's get Lauren to give this eulogy because she's such an awesome speaker. And that's a great compliment. When somebody wants you to do something very important because you're good at speaking, that, that's, that's gold. That's, I think that's almost as important, if not more important, than being a great writer. Mm. Your writing lasts longer. Of course, with everybody with a video camera now, I suppose your awesome speech would last just as long. But I think that's, that's it. People want you to keynote. They want you to speak at graduations. And look at you. You've already got it. You got to speak at your high school graduation. So oh, these yeah. are, these are, it's just great compliments when someone says, oh, let's, let's get Lauren. She's an awesome speaker. Yeah. It's something I think too, I've, I've done many toasts at weddings. I've, you know, been maid of honor numerous times. And if I wasn't in the wedding, I've also been asked to do a reading at the wedding. Um, and mm. it is, it, it is, I, it's such a big honor when someone asks, and it's always because they're like, Oh, you've said it so nicely or the way that you convey yourself or, you know, your mannerisms. And those are always really nice compliments to get from someone. Yeah, I think that's why. And it's the one thing, truthfully, that all of us can learn. There's nobody that is, I mean, there are some people that are natural at it, but more often than not, there are people who work at it. You know, looking at personality preferences, you know, we, we talk about those that prefer introversion or extroversion. You know, most people think if you have a preference for extroversion, where you tend to get energy from being around people, you're a natural and yet that's not true. I have a preference for introversion, as do you. Yes. And so we can get out there and you can, you, I heard your podcast, your guests, you engage them. You got guests from all over the world. And nobody would know that about you, Lauren. They, yeah. they don't know that when a podcast is over, you sit back in the chair and you say, damn, I'm tired. Yeah. Man, Thank that God, was a lot over. of work. <laughs> it was. Yeah. And I, it drains your energy. Yeah. It does. And, and, and I can tell you after this talk I'm going to give in about 30 minutes, I'm going to sit back and say, okay, I'm going to go find me a quiet place and I may have a drink or two and I don't want to talk to anybody. Yeah. And then, and I'm good again. So that's why I say it's not, oh, that person's naturally bubbly. They're a natural. No, there's a few, but everybody else just works damn hard. And I think that's the beauty of this. Anybody can do it. That is so true. It just, it is a confidence factor too. I've just... Repetition, mm -hmm. repetition. Yes, yes. Well, Mac, will you tell our audience where they can buy your, buy your book and learn more about you? Sure. Well, you can get the book. It's How to Win at Giving Presentations. You can go ahead and get it on Amazon. It's there right now. There's also the Kindle version of it. And if you go to my website, there's a couple. But the one to go to would be Mac Monroe. That's M-A-C-K-M-U-N-R-O, no E on the end, dot com. And that's my speaking site. So if you're interested in having somebody come and speak at your event, why well, you can find out about me right there. 
but I would love to engage any of you. And I would really suggest, not that I just want to sell more books, even though that's true, <laughs> but I want everybody to have this gift. This gift, it is a gift to be able to get up and give a good talk. Absolutely. And real quick, will you tell us about your new podcast? Because the last time you were on, you just had the Boss Builders podcast, which is still great. I encourage anyone who's listening mm-hmm. today to go listen to that one. But now you also have HR Oxygen. Yes, yes, absolutely. So, you know, we talked about earlier that you need to know your audience. And that's where we primarily get business from is through the HR community. So I thought, you know, we've got to have something that reaches them. And I did some research and I thought there are some podcasts aimed at HR people, but they're all technical, different laws and regulations. And they can get that. That's what they're getting at this conference. I'm in uh, Norfolk, Virginia today. And they're getting that. But what they don't have is something that can get them mentally geared up for this very difficult job. So they get in the car in the morning, they're stressed out over work and meetings and deadlines, and it goes to the day fighting the battles. And at the end of the day, they're exhausted. They got to race home. The, the typical HR professional we see is about 30 years old, has a couple of kids. They got to get the kids from daycare, get home, get dinner ready. Their husband sits on the couch with a bag of chips and a beer and says, hey, what's for dinner? I mean, this is their life. And so we created HR Oxygen to give them something that will pump them up and something that will motivate them and inspire them and give them practical tips, but not, not stuff that's going to stress them out more, like changes in laws and regulations. Right. So we came up with HR Oxygen. In fact, you're going to be on it here in a few weeks, which we're excited for. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we still have the Boss Builder podcast, which is primarily geared toward those who are newly promoted supervisors, those who've been in the role for a while and are struggling, and even those who are thinking about one day making that transition. So I love the podcasting. And I think I, I think you were one of my big inspirations for getting it up and running, too. I see you going crazy with it. I thought, well, I got to keep up with Lauren. <laughs> nuts with podcasting. But it's an awful lot of fun. So, yeah, thanks for uh, the opportunity to promote that. Definitely check it out. It's on all the major podcast apps and, of course, at hroxygen.com and bossbuilderpodcast.com. Awesome. I love both of those podcasts. Definitely go go check them out. And yeah, I will be on in a, in a few weeks. I'm looking forward to being on that as well. I've also sent some of my HR friends your way already. Um, and I'm actually awesome. a little interested to know if some of them might be at that conference today, now knowing that you're in Virginia. So <laughs> It's possible. We've got yeah. people, I've got people from as far up as Northern Virginia and then way down in the South. There's about 700 people here at this conference. So I'm wow. probably going to have about 100, 120 in mind. They do the breakout sessions and we'll see. But uh, it's, it's a fun group and, and it's a tough job. So if you know an HR person, be nice to them. Don't give them a bunch <laughs> of crap. They get enough already. That's so true. So true. Well, thank you again, Mac, for joining me. You are always a wealth of information and I truly love learning from you. Thanks, Lauren. I really appreciate the opportunity. I love learning from Mac. I have for years. I know you will as well. You'll find direct links to Mac's website, podcasts, and social channels on this week's episode notes found on mindbizlife.com. While you're there, go ahead and subscribe to email updates. You'll get all of our episodes delivered straight to your inbox each and every single week. I'll see you back here next week. And until then, remember, every level of life is an opportunity to grow. Be well, my friend.